This episode is brought to you by Zencaster. Zencaster is the number one tool for all podcasters. You can record high fidelity audio between remote locations and get studio quality sound. Go to Zencaster.com and use coupon code that entertains for 20% off for three months or 20% off an annual plan. Everything is awesome is part of Courts and Parts, a podcast network featuring pop culture, TV, movie, and geek podcasts. Check out some of our other shows like TV Ate My Brain, Let's Chat with Revelin Friends, and Podstalgic at courtsandparts.com. Welcome to this week's edition of Everything is Awesome. I am your host, Kev, and this is the show where we sit down and talk to awesome people about awesome things. And here we are in July. Uh, We have the Philadelphia Podcast Festival behind us. June was a very, very busy month. Uh, June was... I started Weight Watchers. Um, I started... Uh, maybe in May we actually started reviewing comic books on That's Entertainment. Um, but uh, I really kind of kicked into gear doing that in June. And then we also um, did our Philadelphia Podcast Festival celebration, which involved ooh, probably 10, uh, we'll say about 10 interviews in a matter of uh, two, three weeks tops. So it was a very, very busy month. But it was so much fun. Um, enjoyed, uh, you know, just everything going on. Um, my son graduated kindergarten and um, summer vacation started. Uh, not for me. I guess I, I still work. But regardless, like everything is, is, is uh, going on. Weight Watchers is going good as of um, just the just under a week ago from the time I'm recording this. Down 22 pounds at the five-week mark, uh, so that's that's really exciting. Uh, and uh, I have actually joined a gym uh, to kind of help uh, push myself along. And, and my goal is is to is to lose what will be a total of about 50 pounds by the end of summer. Um, and I would imagine that I'm you know I'm practically halfway there, uh, and and we're in. Eh, almost the middle of July. So, um, I'm hoping that joining the gym helps me, uh, push through any hurdles that I might come across, uh, to hit my, um, my goal by, uh, the end of the summer, which is about 50 pounds. So, you know, I'll probably be updating you guys as I, as I go along. Uh, if you don't want to hear about it, just let me know, you know, say, Hey, we don't want to hear about Weight Watchers, but Hey, you know, what? it's working for me. I'm really digging it. Um, I've had a couple hard days here and there where, where I'm still hungry. Um, and, and sometimes I dip into some weekly points and whatnot, but, uh, it's good to know that I can every now and then have a, a cheat day here and there. Um, I had, uh, in June, we also had, uh, a wedding to go to where, where I was not really counting or I wasn't paying close attention to what I was eating and drinking. And then the day of the podcast festival, I had a cheeseburger, I had a grilled cheese, I had waffle fries, tater tots, 
uh, plus beer. So it was a, it was a very um, bad day for Weight Watchers, but I still ended up losing weight that week. So um, I think it's good to have those days and, and to kind of, you know, trick your mind and your stomach up a little bit and, uh, you know, and, and just kind of obliterate it, so to speak. Uh, we are, this is, I believe episode 128. So in just a couple of weeks, episode 130, uh, we are going to have a, uh, kind of a big announcement, uh, in regards to the future of everything is awesome. Uh, but uh, that's all I want to say about it. So, so we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get to it when it comes to, I believe that's, I believe 130 is the last week of July, uh, last Wednesday of July. So, uh, we'll have a big announcement concerning everything is awesome, uh, and its future come July. I believe that's July 25th, if I remember correctly, the last, uh, last Wednesday. Uh, another thing, our, our Patreon is officially relaunching on August 1st. I know I've been talking about ways for you to support this show, uh, and everything else that we do under the That's Entertainment banner, including the That's Entertainment podcast network. We're actually relaunching it, uh, August 1st as a That's Entertainment podcast network, um, uh, Patreon. Uh, so, uh, in addition to, to that, you'll still get everything is awesome because that is a podcast that is produced by that's entertainment. Uh, so even though it's not on the network, it's going to be part of the, the Patreon. So keep an eye out on that. Uh, you'll be able to subscribe for as little as, a, um, probably I think as little as a dollar, maybe $2. Uh, and that bare minimum gets you early, uh, access to all our audio. Um, it will get you exclusive content. It will also get you, um, early access or exclusive content outside of the world of podcasting as well. Uh, from comic book reviews, uh, news articles, and just anything else that gets published to thatentertains.com. So keep an eye out uh, on patreon.com slash thatentertains for the relaunch of our Patreon. To get to uh, the bulk of this episode, our guest this week is... Uh, I'm, I'm really excited to, to um, have you guys listen to this conversation. I was really excited to sit down and talk to Mr. Mike Quackenbush. That's right. Mike Quackenbush is uh, the co-founder of Chikara Wrestling... Uh, Chikara Wrestling is a independent wrestling league in the greater Philadelphia area. They do some traveling um, along the East Coast, I believe. Uh, and it, it was actually co-founded by the guy who trained me, Reckless Youth, Tom Carter. Uh, so it was cool to kind of sit down and chat with Mike Quackenbush, who uh, is a really intelligent dude. He's written some books. Um, and he just has a passion for pro wrestling and, um, I, I was really excited to sit down and talk to him. Jeff Stormer from the party in one podcast, uh, a couple of years ago was really sold what Chikara is and why it's so special. And, and we're going to talk to the man himself about that right here on awesomepodcast.com. We are also part of the core temp arts podcast network on coretemparts.com. Thank you for doing the show, uh, on kind of extreme short notice. No, I'm, I'm happy to do it. And Wednesday is usually the day in my schedule that's very loose. So uh, it worked out well that we could get together on a Wednesday because the, the rest of my week is always like nonstop insanity, run from one thing to the next to the next, but not Wednesday. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's funny. It's uh, and I, I guess really like with with dance, my fiance is the one that goes because you, you know, usually my daughter wants her there, not not me. But Wednesday is like it was our busy day because it was practice uh, or game night for my son when he was playing t-ball but he's 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 done that now uh, my daughter's dance night uh, and then also just you know working the regular job till you know 5 30 an hour drive home so Wednesday is usually I would say up to about two or three weeks ago was the busiest day for me um, but it's it's you know now the summer's here everyone's off but me I'm the only one that uh, my fiance is a teacher, so I'm the only one that works in the summer. So I, I'm the only one that has a, a busy schedule, uh, quote unquote, busy schedule. It's still light <laughs> duty for me. No, right on. Um, so I uh, before we we get into the, the bulk of uh, whatever our conversation is going to be today, I, uh, I a fun little tidbit is uh, Tom Carter uh, is he actually trained me. For briefly, briefly, very wow. briefly, I, I trained under him for um, for a couple months. I don't know if, if how like do you talk to him on a regular basis or did you years ago? Like, like we'll say about eight years ago. Um, no, and I don't no. think we've had a single conversation in the last five years. <laughs> oh wow, yeah. I mean, same here. I haven't talked. I, I think maybe we bumped into each other uh, at some point, and we just had like a, a quick little conversation, but. Back, uh, God, I, I want to say it was probably eight years ago ish. Um, we, uh, he was he was doing some uh, work with Falls Township Wrestling, um, which was the organization that I helped create and run out in uh, Bucks County. Um, and then by the time, well, and I started it when it was backyard, by the time it got to, to the level of like being a legit organization, I kind of had just been there, but, um, yeah, he was, he, he trained a couple of us, uh, and I was traveling for work for my, my normal gig. Um, so, so I eventually had to kind of just step away from it cause I, I had to pick either the life of a wrestler or, or, uh, a regular schmo and I, uh. I, I, you know, in hindsight, I took the right decision, uh, you know, cause it, it led me to where I am today. But at the time I was tor- real torn up about it. Hmm. I, uh, I didn't realize that he was involved in training people, uh, at that time, but you know, after he resigned from Chikara, um, he, he became increasingly mysterious. Okay. And, um, I, in those intervening years, I'd say from after he resigns from the company in 2002, and I think the last time I actually saw him face to face was at the end of 2011. We probably talked less than once per year, mm-hmm. um, and uh, at some recent point, I think one of the last times I, I even heard from him, he 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 wanted me to like get interested in a blog he was writing about conservative politics. Oh wow! And and I just thought I don't know that we're going to have a whole lot to chit chat about because at that time I knew zero about U.S. politics. Like I, I yeah. couldn't have contributed an, intel- an intelligent opinion if I tried. So yeah, um, but yeah, he's just kind of completely disappeared from my sphere. And the once annual email I would sometimes get from him stopped some years ago. Yeah, well, and and that's kind of just life, you know. Probably, like I, I have friends that are the same way. That like I never thought 
uh, that, that I've known forever, like since I, I'm in my mid thirties and I've known them for at least 20 years. And, uh, it is, uh, I, I don't even know if we have, uh, an annual conversation. It's just kind of <laughs> random. Like it randomly, I'll be like, Hey man, like what's up? It's, I, I, I've been thinking about you. Um, and, and, and that's like the lifestyle of him being like a, a, a kind of like a bachelor for life and me having uh, a family, two kids and all. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so, uh, Chikara is, is a nice kind of starting point for, for me. Cause I, I, it's a, it's a weird, um, like, uh, I don't even want to call it relationship relationship I have. Cause I, I'm, I'm familiar with, with Chikara enough to like, to, to know about it. And I, it's one of those, um, it's, it's something that I'm always like, Oh, I need to get into, especially when, uh, I, I have a friend, um, Jeff Stormer who hosts the party of one podcast. Hmm. Sure. Uh, have you, do you know of him? I know Jeff. Yes. Okay. Okay. And, and the first time I ever had a conversation with him going about, uh, two or two and a half years ago, maybe uh, wrestling came up cause it, I just, it was a natural part of our conversation. And he's like, let me let me wax poetic. I can't even re, like even try to imitate what he says about Chakar. Like I've never listened to anyone describe something with so much like passion and love in my life. Um, and and like it's to the point where like when every time it's on my radar, I'm like, oh, I got to do this. And then, you know, life gets in the way. Um, mm. So so Chakara. Can you like kind of take me before we get into maybe like your origin point? Chikara is such a fascinating um, wrestling organization because it's from what I, from what I understand it's um, almost unlike any other organization that's out there you know major like WWE uh, or, or independence. So can you kind of take me to how Chikara came about? Well, um, it, how it came about, I suppose, is it, it grew out of a, a boredom. And the monotony. Um, at the time that Chikara started to become a thing, both I and Reckless Youth, Tom Carter, who was my business partner for the first eight months of the venture back in 2002, we'd had you know a handful of hard traveling years. Mm-hmm. Um, and in those hard traveling years, like years where I probably had between 100 and 150 matches in a year, as opposed to like in my less hard traveling years, that you know that number was not even close. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to go all over the United States. A lot of times I went with Tom. We were what I think of as like a peanut butter and jelly match. Um, You know, a lot of times the promoter wanted the peanut butter of reckless youth, but you got the jelly of Mike Quackenbush because that's how you made the sandwich. (laughs) And and you could typically count on the fact that we would make for a palatable lunch. So that's what you got with us. And everywhere we went, it seemed like there were – roughly two kinds of wrestling organizations out there. And this lack of variety really began to irk us. Then in 2001, the pro wrestling landscape is, you know, permanently altered, I think, to the detriment of the craft when both WCW and ECW are consumed by WWE. Uh And in the, in this vacuum, especially because uh, I've always lived in the greater Philadelphia area. Okay. Same was true of Tom. Um, Philly, where ECW lived, had kind of become the epicenter of the alternate or alternative wrestling movement. But in the absence of ECW, there was like this vacuum created. And there were all these other organizations out there that seemed desperate to earn the moniker of the next ECW. 
Like somehow picking those bones dry was going to equal the recipe for success or fame or fortune. And watching this going on, we just thought, man, we could do something better. And you do get to a point where you realize, man, you better put up or shut up. Mm -hmm. Um, If you really have all these great ideas, if you really think that you can go out and fashion something that's superior to the people who are paying you and granting you stage time, well, uh, you better not complain too loudly. Otherwise, you better get to work. And indeed, we did. So we opened the Wrestle Factory. We trained our first term of students. There were five in the first graduating class. And as soon as they were ready, we started having live events in May of 2002. Uh, And then just a few months thereafter, Tom departs, he resigns. And his time in pro wrestling then becomes less and less and less. um, And he just kind of starts to vanish. He dabbles in the scene here and there, obviously, but um, begins to kind of retreat into the shadows. I'm, I'm certain there are a number of reasons for this, some of which are very business minded. But when people ask me about that, my gut instinct is to lay the blame at the feet of the WWE. The year to a year and a half that Tom spent under developmental contract with them, working in their developmental system, beat his passion for the craft out of him. Oh, wow. And when he came back, he was a broken performer. Um, he, He was really just horribly disillusioned, I think, and was struggling to reconnect with what he loved about the craft. And he was just never the same. He was never the same guy. He was not not the guy that I, I traveled with for years and years in the 90s when he came back from this WWE developmental deal of his. So thereafter, um, you know, we'd had a division of work between us, I should say. There were things that Tom was very good at. Tom's a very business-minded guy. You may know he's an accountant in yeah. real life. Um, and, uh, you know, like he's got a good sense for um, legal bureaucracy, accounting, and um, the logistics of running a business, whereas my interest was more creative. Mm-hmm. So when Tom was around, we had a nice division of the workload between us. But on the day that Tom resigned and handed me all the books, I realized, boy, I'm, I'm about to learn a whole new skill set. Spoiler here, some of them I've still not mastered. <laughs> like here we are 16 years later, and there's a lot of this I'm not good at. But one thing it did give me the license to do then was to really um, kind of, you know, follow my muse as need be, I, I I could do whatever I wanted to without having to answer to a business partner. And if I really wanted to go out far on a limb in terms of the creative end of things, I was free to do it without anybody there to tell me no. So having grown up as a comic book fan and a lover of superhero culture, I grew up on Avengers and X-Men and Justice League and Teen Titans. I started to pull from those familiar tropes to kind of inform the universe that was Chikara. And I wanted it to be a reflection and an expression of the things that I loved and appreciated. So I would take an idea from Cirque du Soleil, or I would take an idea from, you know, Christopher Nolan's Batman movies, or I would take an idea from other sources of great serialized fiction that I loved, whether it was Lost or it was Dexter or, you know, whatever. And then I just kind of took all of these weird influences and things that I loved and I put them together and shook them up. And what came out of the oven would be, you know, this season of Chikara, which seemed a whole lot like Lost, or this season of Chikara, which was heavily influenced by Alan Moore's Watchmen graphic novel, or whatever the case might be. So it has a very comic booky feel. It's probably the closest analog to res- a wrestling equivalent the Marvel Cinematic Universe has. Mm-hmm. And I suppose part of what distinguishes it from other things like the WWE or Impact Wrestling, or even Lucha Underground, is that Chikara has 
always just had one writer for all 19 seasons. Oh, wow. So there is a certain continuity there that doesn't get interrupted because, you know, you may know, for example, that the, the rate of burnout on Vince McMahon's writing team for the WWE is quite high. And with, with maybe one or two exceptions, they estimate every two and a half years that entire writing team turns over. So you've got a whole bunch of new people coming in that have to be indoctrinated into that culture. They have to learn what's going on. What's up with the characters? What's up with the stories? And then how do they successfully write chapters that don't duplicate what's come before, given the WWE produces, what is it, like 12 new hours of content every week of the year? Yeah, if not more. Staggering. So um, I would say those are things that kind of distinguish what we make at Chikara. And we also work really hard to try to make it as acceptable to all ages as possible. Mm -hmm. And the chief ways in which we do that are we try not to have any vulgar or obscene language. And generally speaking, there is absolutely no sexual content whatsoever. However, I want to be dialed into the fact that I know there are people out there that don't find pro wrestling of any type to be acceptable. So I don't want to say... Hey, like bring, bring, you know, come, come to this kid friendly performance, because I don't think that that's a true representation of what I make. I just try to make it as acceptable to all viewers Mm -hmm. as I can. Yeah. And that's something that I, I find fascinating. And I guess, you know, in current day landscape, even like WWE is leaning more towards um, like a PG 13, but even that isn't necessarily like I have, my son is six and, and he's watched it here and there. And, and unless there's something, you know, terrible on, uh, you know, I, I generally let him watch it. Um, but it's, you know, going back to the, the attitude error when, when I was kind of like growing up on wrestling, um, it was, you know, that's not something that I let my six year old watch. I love the fact that, uh, because in the independent like any time i've been to a local wrestling event uh in bucks county it's never been all ages it's always mm-hmm. been i mean there's been teenagers there and probably 18 year olds there and 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 that's fine it's usually a drinking hall so it's usually i guess at least 21 and up uh or or you're with a guardian or something like that um and that always kind of blew my mind because you know wrestling has always like has been for kids even even in the attitude era that you know there was you know that's how kids got sucked into it so so the fact that in 2018 we still see that almost adult themed wrestling in 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 a lot of at least the indie scene in the bucks county area kind of amazes me and and i love that not only is, is chikara all ages but the 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 comic book aspect or or the and I had no clue that it was just you know the continuity was so tight uh, with because of the singular writer um, that the kind of the continuity nerd in me loves that but mm. yeah the the I I, I I I always have trouble finding the right words for for how I describe what i miss in modern day wrestling and i think it is gimmicky like i think that's it's it's a lot of just dudes with their with their quote-unquote real name in trunks versus what you guys put on with the character like characters that's the probably the best word the characters and the storylines from like what i remember as a kid yeah i think 
there is sometimes, especially in this day and age, a de-emphasization of character and storytelling. And yet you must be an outstanding storyteller to excel as a professional wrestler. You have to be able to tell a story through your physicality, but you must also be able to communicate it verbally, right? Speaking on the microphone is a huge part of being a professional wrestler. And admittedly, you know, when Chikara began in 2002, we were still in the dying days of the Attitude Era. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, S- Steve Austin and The Rock were, were both still fixtures on our TV at the time. So us being an all-ages alternative really distinguished us as an alternative from WWE when we started. But over the time, in the 16 intervening years, we've also watched how the WWE has evolved, right? Yeah. Because of what their sponsors want. And they have all kinds of corporate interests that they have to serve. Um, I'm certainly not trying to, like, demonize them for that or anything. I'm just saying that's that's the way things have gone. I think we feel like less of a conscious alternative to them as they've tried to become a little more family friendly than they were in the dying days of the attitude era where, you know, oops, this woman was accidentally topless on your television screen for a couple seconds. And we act like we didn't know that was going to happen or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree. Um, and the lack of characters and storytelling and really like satisfying storytelling mm-hmm. Um, it was was something that for a while just kind of made me not watch pro wrestling. This thing that has informed my entire adult life. I'm in my 25th year as a professional wrestler. I didn't enjoy it anymore. So that was a really weird place to find myself. But all I really had to do was kind of reach out and look at types of fictional storytelling that I did enjoy. Um, I, I never miss a Marvel movie when it comes out, you know, yeah. tough to imagine here we are 10 years into the Marvel cinematic universe or the TV shows that cut me coming back week in and week out. Um, pr- probably none more so than lost. I would arrange my entire week's schedule yeah. so that I could be home to catch the next episode of lost, which I realize seems like a quaint notion in an era when we all have DVRs <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, right under our TVs. But um, what is it about those characters? What is it about those stories that really kept me engaged? And what was it about the characters and stories that made me a fan of pro wrestling um, that I'm no longer seeing? How can I provide that? Because no doubt there is an audience out there that craves it. Yeah. And that's, you know, I, I same with the the only Marvel movie I've actually ever missed was Ant-Man. Uh, and, oh, wow. And... and admittedly like i don't know why like uh i i still actually i have it uh and i have yet to watch it i need to watch it within the next couple of weeks because i want you just not have an attachment to ant-man in any way well it was yeah, partially that i think you know uh, when ant-man came out my kids were that was what about two years ago it came out right so so my kids were were two and and four um, so a lot harder to get out to the movies, uh, on, on a regular basis, even for the big tent poles. Um, and that one was one that was like, Oh, you know what? I'll, I'll catch that soon. I'll catch that soon. And, and soon eventually became 2018 where I need to sit down <laughs> and, and watch it. And because I love Paul Rudd, um, mm-hmm. I, I, they're like, I, I'm a fan of his going back to clueless. Mm. Uh, and, um, but it's definitely from the, the hype that I've heard from other people, especially we've actually this year have been fortunate enough to go to, uh, the, the great Philadelphia comic-con and wizard world Philly to run a, uh, 10 years of Marvel panel where we just kind of sat around and, and I had different people on to just chat about the last 10 years, 
Um, and, and at Wizard World, we were able to spoil and talk Infinity War, which was fun uh, mm. because it was like at least two weeks after. But um, yeah, everyone's like waxing about how much they love uh, Ant-Man and the, the trailers for Ant-Man and the Wasp just like I, I look at I watch those trailers. I was like, how did I let Ant-Man slip by me? And it, it seems like it's almost um, like Guardians of the Galaxy gets a lot of love for being a movie that like no one had a lot of faith in. And I feel like Ant-Man almost kind of had that same. We don't know about Ant-Man, but it gets like secret love almost not as much as Guardians yeah. of the Galaxy, at least. True. Uh, and, you know, the initial Ant-Man is a caper film, mm-hmm. which I think took people by surprise in the same way that Winter Soldier reminded me of some of the 70s paranoia films that I watched mm-hmm. um, that really informed pr- probably the most ambitious project Shakara ever undertook. It's a, a project I call Ashes. Um, nevertheless, uh, I have a deep attachment to the Avenger Hank Pym, who in the movies played by Michael Douglas, mm-hmm. who, who happens to be my favorite actor. So I, I couldn't have asked for anything better. Plus, the Wasp in, in this new movie is Evangeline Lilly, yeah. an alum oh, from yeah, Lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's got a great, you know, and I don't know anybody that doesn't like Paul Rudd. So you've really got some fun stuff going on there. But um, I have such an attachment to Hank Pym as a character. He's a really tragic character in the Marvel comics. They've downplayed some of that uh, and kind of, you know, the story's been adjusted a little bit for motion picture. But in the comics, he's a tragic figure. Um, He's eaten alive by his self-doubt and it causes him to make poor decision after poor decision until... During the time when I was a kid and read the Avengers, he's in jail for a while. He gets court-martialed out of the Avengers and, like, becomes a loser. And so I went on this journey with him feeling like I want to see his redemption story. And um, But it's characters like that that feel flawed, that feel human, um, that are vulnerable, you know, that we all kind of attach to. I think that's what we all love about Batman and what makes it a a hurdle to get over to relate to Superman. Batman is so vulnerable because he's mortal and Superman's from the exact opposite end of the spectrum. And of course, those kinds of storytelling tropes, a guy came after me on Twitter this week, actually, about my newest book. Um, And I know that sounds like a segue, but um, (laughs) it really is organic here. Stay with me for a second. So I have this new book out. It's called Seven Keys to Becoming a Better Performer, a book for fellow pro wrestlers. And one of my chapters is about vulnerability, which, of course, comes out in the way that we emote or we sell in the ring. We must show vulnerability to the audience. It's essential to the way they go on the emotional journey with a character throughout a wrestling match. And uh, I, I call on the example of the, the fairly recent movie, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice and about the issues of vulnerability in that movie that help inform what we should and should not do as professional wrestlers. Um, And somebody took a swipe at me on Twitter and said, what on earth does Batman v Superman have to do with pro wrestling? That's pathetic. And I thought it has everything to do with it because these are larger than life characters in really gaudy costumes trying to beat each other up. And at the core, at the core of the storytelling's flaw is that one of these characters really isn't vulnerable. Um, that has a lot to do with pro wrestling storytelling. I I can't believe, as someone who... I, I watched wrestling for almost the entirety of my childhood, stopped probably mid-2000s, but still good like 15 to 20 years of watching it. I've never, ever 
even thought to think of two guys in a in these flashy costumes is is not like I never related that to wrestling and I have a new viewpoint of Batman versus Superman now. <laughs> uh, but no, that's that's absolutely true. Like it's it's Superman for like me. I, I'm always going to be a Batman guy. I, I'm a, I, I've been I was a Marvel kid. DC and mm-hmm. I, I only started reading. I read Scott Snyder's run um, when with the new the launch of the new Fifty Two uh, mm-hmm. of Batman, and um, and then started reading Batman again because uh, I started. I had the opportunity to start reviewing comic books um, through our website, so I, I started to binge read Tom King's run on, on Batman. Mm-hmm. So so I, and I read a couple of other titles, and, and I'm more of a DC guy now, but kind of strictly in the bat family but yeah um superman like i I, there is i enjoy the character when when it's done right um and and i don't know that we've had a truly good superman on on screen since christopher reeves um right i agree with that sentiment 100 percent i really did enjoy like smallville or at least the the kind of like the the early to mid seasons of smallville um Mm -hmm. which is i guess more of a take on clark than it is superman um right but uh yeah i think that the christopher reeve that no one's been able to capture that you know, that spirit of Superman since I have a lot of issues with man of steel, uh, and, and how that was Mm -hmm. handled. Um, but yeah, the, uh, Batman is like the, and and I think the reason I like him so much is because out of all the DC characters, he seems to be the most like Marvel, which is Marvel characters tend to be full of everything you just talked about. Like they're really vulnerable and, and whatnot. Uh, and I think Batman is probably the best example from DC t- to match up there. Yeah, I um, a, a couple things there because boy, you're talking my wheelhouse now, Ken. Um, when when I was in college, uh, I was fairly penniless, and although I grew up as a Marvel kid like you did, by the time I was college age, the only book I couldn't give up was The Flash. Uh, I read Mark Wade's run on The Flash when Wally West has become The Flash. Mm-hmm. Barry Allen's been killed in Crisis on Infinite Earths. And it's him trying to to live up to the mantle of his uncle, who was like the ultimate hero, right? The Flash was fairly perfect in DC continuity, and Wally just can't live up to it. It reminds me in the same way of some of the flaws that I loved about the way Cyclops was written um, in the books. In the movies, Cyclops is horribly mishandled, in my opinion. But there's a wonderful YouTube video essay I would recommend to you, made by a guy, I believe his handle is High Top Films, H-I-T-O-P. And he, I thought, very eloquently expressed what's missing about Superman now. And like you, uh, I am a great admirer of the Christopher Reeve Superman movies, especially the first two, less so the other two. But that's also the first movie I ever saw as a child was Superman 1. So the scene of him catching Margot Kidder in one arm and catching a helicopter in his other arm and smiling in a way that said no big deal and being very wink winky and charming about it as a kid, I thought, man, I want that job. I don't know what that is, but I'd like to be that guy. When do I get the colorful costume? But um, the, the uh, video essay I saw said that uh, the thing about Superman that makes him Superman is that he cares about the little guy. He shouldn't, he's a God, but he cares desperately about the little guy so much so that he'll stop to get a cat out of a tree for a little girl. Mm -hmm. But the version of him that we see in Batman v Superman and Man of Steel 
is one who will indulge in wanton destruction that must be killing thousands, if not tens of thousands, of the little guy. And that's why I think I don't connect to that Superman. The Superman that I know, the Christopher Reeve version, or like you said, when he's done right, is someone who cares about every single person on Earth. Yeah, I uh, I, I have a I, I could we could probably go two hours on why I do do not like Man of Steel, uh, and, so, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I've complained about it a lot on the show. So I I'll, I'll save uh, everyone from my my tangent there, but uh, I, yeah, it's and recently I don't know if you still follow uh, like DC Comics now, uh, but I was reading an issue of Batman. I think it was in the uh, Tom King's run in Reborn or, or whatever it is now uh, in the, the mid thirties where uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's, there's a sequence that is Batman and Catwoman talking and, and then usually panel for panel, it's Superman and Lois talking and it's, mm. it's Batman talking about like, his why he thinks Superman is so great and why he's a better person than he is. And Superman's doing the same thing about Batman, why Batman is a better person than he'll ever be. And it is one of the most fascinating issues in this current run of Batman that I read. Uh, I'll have to, in the show notes, I'll have to link the actual issue that it is. Uh, and, and and it proceed it leads to the next issue of them going on a double date, which is just a fun little rob. But but the issue that with that it, it shows like, and I don't read current day Superman or or whatever happened before um, Bendis came on board, but that moment is like that that showing Superman be vulnerable uh, with Lois and about how he thinks Batman is such this great person, uh, and and can is a better hero than he is it, that like I instantly connected to, to the character right then and there because, because of mm-hmm. that. So uh, it, it's, it's, I think rare that I've seen Superman done right in, in the modern day. Um, and, and that might be because I just don't read his comics often. Uh, but in Tom King has, when he has had the chance to write them, I think has handled them really well. Hmm. Well, he's certainly gotten me intrigued because it's been a long time since I've, I've wanted to, I think the last thing I really read that was current was all-star Superman. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I want to dive. I have yet to read that. Um, I want to dive into that because, like I said, I, I DC is something that I've only picked up probably within the last year, um, uh, save for the Scott uh, Snyder run on, on Batman a couple of years ago. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of like a good time to be a DC fan in the comic book world, at least, because any pretty much anything that i pick up i generally enjoy reading and and is they have a pretty stacked talent pool that that like i kind of now recognize by name i never used to be the guy that recognized like the artist name um so usually the writer's name i would recognize because i've I've always gravitated towards writing more so than than art Mm -hmm. um but but we dc is living in this great world of having an equal uh, pool of talent in both writers and artists. Um, when when I know, like in the past, it's kind of been lopsided one one way or the other. Yeah, yeah, and even on TV right now, they're really smacking it out of the park. Um, oh my god! Every I, new oh announcement god. about the Arrowverse, like when they revealed recently that <laughs> Batwoman was coming. Yes, I just thought, yes. um, wow, you sure are getting it right, at least on the small screen. I 
now and I will willingly talk <clears throat> hours about the CW verse and, and the Berlanti verse, as I call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- there's, and I like the Netflix shows from Marvel. I think they're really good. I think it's hard to judge them with anything else because Netflix is a whole nother beast and you're allowed to do pretty much anything you want with those shows. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think still, even if you include those shows, I think DC and, and WB crush Marvel when it comes to their television shows. I've watched Ancients of S.H.I.E.L.D. And, and, and I've heard that it's gotten better since I stopped watching it. So I should probably rewatch it. Um, I've heard good things about like Cloak and Dagger and, and a lot of the other things that they're doing. Um, but but that's the, the Berlanti verse is I, I didn't get on board right away. I think I started binging Arrow season one when season two was wrapping up. Um, or, or whenever they announced that, Hey, we're going to bring Barry Allen in and it could be potentially to his own show. And I was like, wait, they're creating a universe on TV. And, and as I said earlier, I'm in the bag for continuity and universes and stuff like that. So I, uh, and, and I think right now, um, the, the flash is right now, like their, their strongest show. Mm-hmm. I, I love the flash. Yeah, I agree. Uh, as a fan of the CBS series from 1990, like all I had to hear was that John Wesley Ship was going to be playing yes. Barry's father, and I thought I am all in on this. Yes, uh, I, I watched. I remember watching a couple episodes of that when I when I was a kid. That probably was out when I was I was born in '84, so I was I was probably around like eight to ten when that that came out, if I remember the timeline correctly. Um, and and I only the, the, my only vivid memory of watching the '90s Flash was Mark Hamill as the trickster, mm. um, and I loved that they brought him back as the trickster right. and that. Like it's almost like they have the '90s Flash in the same continuity, at least as a parallel universe or parallel world in the multiverse. Um, it's I can't the the way that that show and and the writers and the creators of that show treat anything that has a connection to that character, whether it be a former TV show or any stuff that's happened in the comics or when they bring in um, like a character that has some sort of important history, whether, you know, like a, this is a bad, a bad example. I still, this is more of like a Smallville thing, uh, uh, but, but like, uh, like Lois Lane, like I think all the CW shows treat their history, right? Like they'll bring in Supergirl, for example, brought in Linda Carter mm-hmm. Um they just pay really good homage to what's come before them. Yes. Yeah. And especially for those that know all of that sort of stuff, it makes it more rewarding when you're watching along and you realize, oh, that was the actress that played Tina McGee on the Flash mm-hmm. series, you know, yes. 30 years ago or whatever. Um, all of those kinds of little wink, winky things like, like we all know who Helen Slater was. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, all that goes a long way toward building up goodwill with, with the audience and with me. Yeah. And I, I don't, I mean, they arrow lost me for a little bit and I think season five it was, um, but, but it still won me back. Uh, what I guess this is season six. So it won me back this season. Maybe it was season four that, that there was issue. I forget what season it was. Um, but, but overall, like they just, it, it, it's hard for me to fathom how they can get that so right. So, so right. And they have a lot of trouble finding their way on the big screen. Mm-hmm. 
I, I think you and I are probably not the only two people asking that exact same question. Um, and unfortunately, it's probably because they are slave to so many masters at that level. You know, um, it's a camel with too many humps. Too many people have input into what goes into that. And then, of course, they do seem to really labor under – and I, I'm just speculating here. I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm not in those meetings, if you were wondering, Kev. But um, I wish – oh, God. We would have a much different conversation if you were part of those meetings. <laughs> I think I'd be berated. But um, <laughs> there seems to be this conscious thing like let's not be compared to Marvel. Right. Like, let's not do all yeah. the individual characters first and then the team up movie or we're going to be accused of mimicking the template of the Avengers movie. Right. Let's be careful. We don't do that. But let's also be really careful that we don't get pegged as the multi-million dollar super friends. Um, but unfortunately, in trying to avoid those two pitfalls, you know, they've also kind of then created a Justice League that we don't know or care about. Right. Like yeah. if it was. You know, as kids, of course, we all imagine what that would be like if Christopher Reeve, Linda Carter, Adam West, and Burt Ward were all together on screen. You know, like, what would happen if we got the Super Friends as a movie? Um, we ha And realistically, you know, you think about the four of them and their versions of those iconic characters. Um, what a brighter, more fun, and optimistic Justice League that would have been with just the four of them, you <laughs> yes, know, yes. without an Aquaman or without a Flash. Uh, and, you know, there's all these other things that they're they're working on, right? We've seen pictures of what Shazam is going to look like. There's the Green Lantern core movie, a, a Cyborg, et cetera. Um, yeah, we have really just kind of ended up with a version of the Justice League none of us know and didn't have to learn to like before the movie. Yeah, yeah. And that was – now, I went into – Justice League was the first movie I, I had my movie pass for. Mm -hmm. Um and I, I did not go see Batman versus Superman in theater. Um, that was a movie that by title alone, I should have been like, I am 100% going to the, see this in the theater. And the, the trailers for Batman versus Superman made me say, eh, I think I'll wait. And I waited a, a real long time to watch it. Before I, I was sick uh, at home watching it on HBO one day. Um, uh, but, but justice league, I kind of went in saying, all right, I'm going to see this. I, I liked Ben Affleck as as Batman. Um, one, you know, Gal Gadot as Wonder Woman was was wonderful. So let me let me go in with very low expectations, and and, and doing that, I walked out saying, okay, like I had fun for this for that two hours, uh, but I couldn't tell you anything about that movie. Like right now, mm -hmm. uh, on June, uh, we're recording this on June twenty seventh. I could not tell you one thing about that movie except that it had a lot. Of, it had characters in it. That's all mm -hmm. I know. Right, and unfortunately, you know, the same trap a few of them have fallen into is the big battle in the third act where they go up against whoever the big bad is happens in this like weird colored CGI wasteland. Yeah, it's the same thing that plagued the third act of Wonder Woman. It's the same thing that plagued the third act of uh, Batman v Superman when Doomsday shows up. Um, and there it is again in Justice League. They're in like this orange skied nowhere um, fighting Steppenwolf and the generic grunts from every side scrolling beat em up, except to the tune of $250 million. Yeah, um, yeah. Right. And it was tough. Like, there are versions of the characters I don't relate to. I loved Peter David's take on Aquaman. And while this one, you know, Jason Momoa clearly resembles that version of Aquaman. That's it, the physical resemblance. Mm -hmm. Once you've fallen in love with the CW's Flash, trying to accept Ezra Miller as a Flash is hopeless. Yeah. 
you're, you're never going to win us over because we've spent all this time learning to love that other version of Barry Allen. And as much as we all might like that Wonder Woman, right? I, I don't know that there are many people out there um, that, that did not kind of like fall in love with that Wonder Woman. You've got, uh, like we talked about some time ago here now, you've got a Superman that really doesn't seem to care about the little guy and a Batman who will kill people with guns. <laughs> so it's like, who are these people? Maybe yeah. I like Cyborg. He did say <laughs> booyah at the end. <laughs> I uh, One of my biggest complaints in a post-Justice League world was I remember a, like reading an interview or, or watching a video uh, with, with Zack Snyder saying that the reason they weren't going with Grant Gustin's flash and, and to kind of combine the universes there was that, well, that's not the way the direction we're going. We're not going that, that, you know, funner upbeat kind of, I don't want to say jokey. Cause I, I, you know, I, Grant Gustin's flash is literally, it has made me cry in certain scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he, he's got some emotional depth too, but the, the flash we ended up getting, like I, I, I watched, I was like, this isn't serious. This is ex- like that. I've seen a, a better version of this flash on the CW. Why didn't like, why not just cast the guy we all know and love? <laughs> right. Exactly. And we've all already seen a better version of that exact same general trope in Spider-Man homecoming. Yes. Where, you know, the, the, the giant wealthy benefactor guy shows up to help the young quippy guy assimilate. Um, and, Although, although Spider-Man Homecoming is not a perfect film, it's one I enjoyed far more than I enjoyed Justice League. Oh, I, well, I can't th- I can't think of and, I, and I'll, I'll say from Iron Man on, I can't think of an M- a Marvel movie uh, and, and, and just the MCU. You know, I can't think of one that I enjoyed less than Justice League. Uh, or Batman versus Superman. Mm-hmm. Maybe I could say I enjoyed uh, the Incredible Hulk less than Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like in in a in eighteen movies that they have now, or, or nineteen. Um, there's only maybe one movie, and that's the Incredible Hulk that kind of stands out as like a low point for the MCU. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you know, I can't. It's too late for me to do math. But but that's a very low percentage compared to <laughs> DC's and well and sticking to just the DC EU or whatever they're calling it from Man of Steel on, mm-hmm. they've had, in my opinion, one good movie. Yes. I agree. Yeah, Suicide Squad was a chore. Um, Wonder <laughs> Woman felt like a joy compared yeah. to the other ones. Um it, and we all kind of breathed a sigh of relief, especially like I, I grew up with the Linda Carter series and yeah. reruns. So you know, Linda Carter as Wonder Woman was the first crush I had as a little boy. Mm-hmm. It's really important to me you get Wonder Woman right. And thank goodness that they did. Um, and the little I've seen about Wonder Woman 1984 that's been out there, I'm thrilled. Um, yeah. I'd really be qu- quite content to just follow that character going forward because I don't want anything further with those versions of Superman or Batman. I know we're getting Aquaman at the end of this year. Um, and, you know, I don't know if they're kind of quietly backing off the Flashpoint movie, the Cyborg solo movie. Nothing's been said about that in recent months. So who, who knows if these other ones are just kind of fading away. Um, I am optimistic about Shazam, though. And when I heard that Joss Whedon was attached to, to Batgirl, um, Barbara Gordon Batgirl is one of my very favorite characters. I, I felt a sense of optimism there. Um but there's very little about the DC extended universe that gives me optimism. 
if you are a fan of Batgirl and and the CW shows, I highly recommend um, reading Hope Larson's run on Batgirl that she did during this um, uh, rebirth um, uh, run. Uh, probably even more so than than Tom King's run on Batman. Uh, I when I started reviewing comic books for a different site before I moved on to doing it for my own site. And one of the few titles they had left was Batgirl. I was like, all right, well, it's in the Bat family. And and it's a character that like I, I remember loving from. I, I, I barely, I know she was in the animated series, but I don't really remember. The one that sticks out in my mind is Adam West's version of, yes. of Batgirl. Um, skipping right over Alicia Silverstone. <laughs> uh, right. That one I don't remember at all. Uh, but uh, so, so I was like, all right, like I, I, I want to read this. And it's the the first couple issues, because, again, that was one that I think I started reviewing like maybe 10 issues in. So I, I binge read the first 10 issues. And at first, it, like the first handful of issues for me was a little slow to get into. Um, and I think it was the art. Like there was something about the art that I just it, it, it like. It, it didn't connect with me. And then um, Chris Wild Goose uh, got on board with the with the art and then it all started to connect. And Hope Larson's version of Batgirl, um, she wrote issues one through 23, I believe, uh, which just ended maybe a month or two ago, uh, is the most CW thing I've ever read. Like the character feels like she belongs in the CW universe to the point where I tweeted plenty of times tagging her tagging uh like the, the arrow writers and 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 the supergirl writers saying i want to see hope larson write an episode of supergirl with the introduction of batgirl and have mm. them interact because it just felt so so right so if you're a fan of batgirl and the cw shows i highly recommend that run well thanks yeah i will take you up on that and when I was a fervent reader of comics, I am far less so now for reasons of disposable income. Yes. Um, yes. They had just, uh, the Batgirl special had happened in 1988 with that great cover by Mike Mignola, shortly followed by the killing joke. And then Batgirl gets transitioned to Oracle. So the vast majority of the time I was reading DC books, there were these other Batgirls, right? There's like yeah. that ninja Batgirl and some other Batgirls, uh, but none of them were my Batgirl. Yeah. So, yeah. um, Although they briefly flirted with restoring her during the Zero Hour event, I feel like this is a great time to be reading because they've sort of restored her to the character that I know and love. Yeah, yeah. Um, so moving away from all that tangent, as we kind of get to the last 10, 15 minutes here, I want to transition back to uh, you. <laughs> and I actually am I'm fairly more uh, interested in in tackling you and your writing before we we get to maybe your origins with wrestling if we even get there today because mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned earlier you you uh, have written your seventh book so when did you get the itch for wanting to write a book and, and how long when was your, what when was your first book now that we're in 2018 uh, so so I can get the timeline of these seven books well, the first one came out 20 years ago. Oh, wow. It comes out in the summer of 1998, and it came out in magazine format from Kappa London Publishing. They're the same people that make Pro Wrestling Illustrated, mm-hmm. The Wrestler, Wrestle America. Maybe some of these titles are extinct. I don't know. But um, 
they had kind of charged me with doing some long form stuff. And then they, they put the whole thing out as, as a magazine in the summer of 1998. Um, and it was the first bit of like long form writing I did. It was 96 pages of text. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so shortly thereafter, I remember seeing an interview with Mick Foley, Cactus Jack, Mankind, uh-huh. etc., where he talked about returning home from a trip where he suffered a concussion. And when he got off the airplane, he couldn't remember where he lived. He couldn't drive himself home. Um, at the that time story, yeah. that he gave that interview, he had the same number of concussions that I had when I was reading the interview. Wow. And this made me very fearful. And I thought, will, will the things that make me, me, disappear from my mind? Will I forget things that are Im- important to me? And so I began to set down stories that were really important to me personally in a written form. But as that project went on, I realized like this is becoming another book. And so although it it feels premature, and especially now when I look back on it, given how long ago it came out, I put a memoir out in the autumn of 2001 called Headquarters. Um, And it really was just the compilation of all those stories, the stories that were important to me that I wanted to set down in a permanent form because I was afraid of what the lasting impact of all those head traumas might be. Um, So from there, uh, I've just put out stuff that's all very much in the pro wrestling sphere, including this most recent book of mine that just came out uh, last year, Seven Keys. That's the one I was talking about before. And um, Seven Keys is the shortest of all my books. It's, It's only about 75 pages long. It's meant to be very bite-sized, and one of my main goals was to make it actionable. If you are a performer, and of course it's designed for professional wrestlers, but I've delighted in hearing from performers from other disciplines who said, I got a lot of value from the book. I'm glad, and thanks for supporting me by buying the book. But I wanted you to be able to read just one of my seven keys to becoming a better performer and go to the ring later that same night and put it into action. It wasn't the sort of thing like, hey, if you do this a year from now, you're going to see the reward. I wanted you to be able to take those ideas and immediately put them into action. Um, And it had also been a while since I had written. Um, I was a writer before I was a wrestler. Um, In my high school yearbook, when they asked me what my future plans were, it was not to be a professional wrestler. I wrote, I want to be a famous comic book writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and over the years I've pitched a, a number of times, most recently, just, just a year, maybe two years ago, I pitched IDW publishing when they announced that they, uh, had gotten the mask license from Hasbro and they were reviving it in comic book form. I was one of 10 writers that got to pitch oh, nice. the editorials at, um, IDW. Now, ultimately I didn't get that gig. It went to a very talented writer, Brandon Easton, who had worked on agent Carter, the TV series, as well as a number of outstanding books, including one about Andre the giant. But um, while that remains something near and dear to my heart, the process of having to run a professional wrestling touring ensemble and a training facility and everything involved with that, right? Like we have our own Netflix-like service, for example, Chikaratopia. Every weird tentacle that makes up a professional wrestling organization, I must run all of them. And as that became more cumbersome, uh, I had less and less time to write. But writing is such a pleasure for me. And uh, last summer, I had this weird thing happen where all the people dearest to me in my life were all going to be unavailable to me for the same six days. 
this person was traveling over here and that person was going to be away. And none of, none of these people dear to me were going to be around. And I thought, I have six days to do nothing or I'm going to write a book. And that's where Seven Keys came from. How much of what I've learned over the years as a performer, but also as the director of an ensemble, as, as the curator of a whole fictional universe of my own, you know, continuity. How much of that can I pack into something, but I've got to be done with it in six days. It's got to go to the publishing agent on the morning of day seven. How do I get that done? And the result is out there for you to discover if you're so intrigued. It's on Amazon.com right now. They'll make you a paper copy. It'll probably be delivered to you by drone tomorrow <laughs> if you've got the sweet Amazon Prime. Or they'll beam it directly to your mobile device in seconds if you're into the Kindle thing. Uh, I, I, I I pulled it up uh, so that I can uh, pull the trigger and make that purchase because um, when you first brought it up, probably almost an hour ago or, or whenever it was in this conversation at first, um, even though you have, uh, you know, the you know, pro, pro wrestling in the title, the keyword I heard was performer. And I've had as someone, and, and I, I hate saying the term uh, as someone who's wrestled uh, because of what I did was barely wrestling, but uh, <laughs> I, 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 I've been in a ring. I, I have performed in front of dozens of people uh, at a time. Uh, and I, I kind of know the skill set that, that wrestling has firsthand. I know it applies to so many other art forms. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's, it's why like I'm, I have been flirting with the idea of taking an improv class because what is wrestling, but improv, you know, like wrestling yeah. is, is improv. It's acting, it's, it's writing, it's, it's, you know, it's, you know, for me, podcasting, like, you know, it, it is a form of wrestling. In fact, when I, I stopped wrestling, uh, or I used this as an excuse to stop wrestling, I, I broke my ankle. And, and the people, the organization I was wrestling for went one direction. And, and when I healed up, I decided to go into podcasting. Uh, mm. And that was uh, like almost 11 years ago. Um, and, but like, that's, that's podcasting was like my, my replacement for storytelling. And it all mm-hmm. started like my ability to tell a story stems from when I was 15 years old and not that backyard wrestling is the, the best way to get into it, but we were all very smart. We didn't set tables on fire. We were very safe. Uh, so the kids out there don't backyard wrestle. Uh, if you're going to do it, do it safe. But I, 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 that's, that's where my storytelling started was, it was with wrestling and, and whether it was a, I was good at it or not wrestling to me, that book, uh, you know, that, that your seven keys, um, I feel like that 100% can, can help anybody that's in any kind of live, not, I, I shouldn't even say live, any kind of performer, because wrestling has every form of performance built into it. Mm-hmm. Well said. And um, I would encourage you to take those improv classes. So much of what's in Seven Keys is a result of me taking hundreds of hours of improv classes. Um. I would also encourage you to check out great improv-related podcasts like Improv Nerd with Jimmy Corain, um, who is both an improviser and a teacher of improv. I've taken tremendous value away from listening to his podcast. Um, I was fortunate enough um, to be part of, in and around the larger culture around the Philly Improv Theater. Okay. And um, 
it came to me at a, at a really important time in my life where I very much needed improv. And I came to realize how with each and every minute spent in that sphere, it was making me a smarter and better performer. And that's not limited to improv comedy, nor was it limited to professional wrestling. It just made me a better all around performer. Yeah. And, and fit is a, they're just uh and I haven't dealt with them directly. Um, I've, I've interviewed some of their teachers before, uh, and they're in, in the last two years have been part of the Philadelphia podcast festival. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the, I got a huge kick out of them following me on Twitter the other day. Cause I was like, oh, God, this is just all signs that I should be taking a class. Uh, so, and I think I want to finally pull the trigger like sometime in the fall, but yeah, um, improv is like, it's, it's something that I never like thought that I would be into. I was a fan of like, whose line is it anyway, which is probably like the, not the best example of, of improv, but it's still a good example for some people. Um, especially people that don't necessarily, uh, know maybe some of the like more, um, like a specific improv, but um, the, it wasn't until I I had a conversation for the first time with Hal Lublin last year, who um, is, he's from the Philly area. He went to fit. He lives out in a, in a California now. He's the host or a co-host of we got this um, with Mark and Hal. And um, him and I were talking because he also hosts, co-hosts a, a wrestling podcast. And like, he's the one that like said, like hey like wrestling is is improv like and and i was like oh my god i've been doing improv i did improv for years then for like a decade i did improv whether it was in the backyard <laughs> or professionally um and, and it's and and since then like i've had more passion for it even so yeah and i think it will only stoke those fires all the more if you get the chance to stick your toe in it's, the pool and, and it's it's things like that and like i'm i'm starting to you know, get back in shape. Like I'm almost back to where, uh, the last time I wrestled was 2009. Uh, and, and I'm pretty much at the weight that I was then. So like now I'm in, like, I'm in this era of my life where I'm like, Oh my God, I wonder if I like, if I can get back in shape, like good ring shape. Like I want it like for my kids, like I want to do it one more time. Like just find like a local Bucks County <laughs> place and just one more time, hop in the ring as a, a, a broken 30 some year old man <laughs> and, uh, and, and do it. Um, that, so that's like, that, that's like a far off like goal of mine, but improv is like the more, the, the newer one and, uh, and whatnot. Uh, I do before I, I let you get all your plugs out and, and we, we end the conversation. Um, and we're going to have to have you back on to, to maybe talk your early days of wrestling and whatnot. Um, well, I don't have a fascinating secret origin story. Um, I was not like a test pilot for Ferris aircraft, <laughs> nor were my folks gunned down in Crime Alley. So it's not compelling. I want you to know. Well, it's okay. I think it's still it will be compelling to me, the wrestling nerd. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I was I was actually sitting down with with Jeff Stormer uh, a, a week or two ago, having a beer, um, and and we were talking uh, Chikara briefly. And he was like, yeah, they have an announcer school. I'm like, wait, 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 wait. (laughs) Uh, This is super fascinating to me because I've heard of wrestling school. I've heard of referee school. Please tell me um, about maybe there's even more than I that that Jeff didn't tell me about, about what Chikara's uh, wrestling school factory has outside of just wrestling. 
So our training facility, the Wrestle Factory, which is in Philadelphia, we from time to time offer seminars on other points. So for example, this past summer was the first time I ever offered a seminar on writing for professional wrestling. Um, and then last year we had done one for announcing or commentating live play-by-play. Um, so from time to time, as I feel like I want to explore those avenues a little bit, I will put up one of those seminars at our facility. But to be honest about both of those, the writing one and the announcing one, when it was over, I thought um, I probably could have done a much better job. And I don't know that I want to offer another one until I've really sort of knocked it into its optimal shape because Mm -hmm. uh, people are paying money and spending their time there. And if it's over and I feel like, no, I could have done a better job. I don't feel good about that. Um, Putting that out there, knowing like, man, maybe I didn't give everybody the best bang for their buck with this offering. So of course we continue to offer training for pro wrestlers and we even have a free workshop. Like if you just wanted to get in the ring and find out if it's for you, we, every couple of months, we do another free workshop. There's one in August. You can come and do one day of class with us, our beginner class at no cost to you. And you might find out, Hey, this is for me or no, I never want to do this again, but at least you didn't end up spending hundreds or thousands of dollars to come to that conclusion. Um, making wrestling more accessible and making people understand how awesome the art form is and that it is great fun. That's not to say it isn't also hard work, but it can be great fun. It can be very rewarding. And having the opportunity to share that with more and more people has become one of the very best parts of my job. Uh, wrestling as both a uh, fan and, and, and same as you uh, probably like the WWE stuff. I, I, I stopped watching at some point and, and um, I, I still only flirt with it every now and then. Um, but uh, as someone who was a fan of it and someone who has did it, like, and more importantly, the person who, who did it and, and, and again, uh, not to the level as, as anyone else that, that I've ever talked to really, but as someone who, who did it in the backyard and, and kind of flirted with doing it professionally in, in just the local Bucks County scene. Um, I, I think it's, especially if you're offering a free seminar or a free one day workshop, of, you know, any, everyone should hop on that if, if they even if they only know remotely know about wrestling, because for me, you know, a lot of kids had they chose to, to play guitar or whatever. Um, I chose wrestling like, you know, I, I could have been doing the worst of drugs as a kid. And I I I gravitated toward, gravitated towards wrestling and the the, the life changing of events that I did. I mean, I did that from probably 2001 until I broke my ankle in, I think 2007, I, I wrestled whether it was the backyard, uh, or, or professionally, you know, at least on a monthly basis, if not a weekly basis. And it was one of the, you know, as a, as a teenager, like it was my, the happiest time as a teenager and, and young adult, like it, everyone I think should take that class and take a bump and see how it feels. Cause it might hurt, but I, it puts a smile on my face whenever I even think about taking a bump. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There is a magic to it and um, yeah. breaking off a little piece of it for yourself. Even if you can only afford to do it one day for one afternoon at a free workshop, um, I think is an experience you will not regret. Yeah. And I can't, I can't yet speak on the improv class to, to, to say the same thing that you've told me and so many other people have told me, but, um, someone that's, that's taken bumps in a ring and whatnot, like I can, I can be that guy and say, 
you, you should do it. You should do it at least once because um, it's it's the the way you told you, you've said that improv kind of changed your life. Like me, wrestling changed my life. At, you know, when I was a teenager and and a, and a young adult in my twenties, uh, and it's it's going to change your life too, even if it's just that one day workshop. So, mm-hmm. uh, Mike, thank you for, for doing the show. Uh, before we get out of here, please let everyone know where they can find you and, and any other plugs about what you're doing in Chikara that you want to give. You can find me at my apartment. It's where I live and <laughs> you're welcome to stop over. Um, like, don't be creepy about it, but you know, um, <laughs> <laughs> There's always English muffins in the fridge. Um, oh, well, I'm there. So. I, I, I'm just going to put my old sniffer on and I'm just going <laughs> to sniff out the uh, English muffins. Uh, online, uh, you can find me only on Twitter. I'm at Mike Quackenbush. Um, if there's somebody using that on Facebook, it's bogus. And I wouldn't know what to do if I got an Instagram. So uh, I'm on Twitter. <laughs> I'm at Mike Quackenbush. That's where you'll find me on social media. Uh, I don't perform very often at all anymore. Um, this year, I'll probably have a total of six matches, and next year, probably fewer still. But I do wow. teach quite a bit. I travel around teaching seminars about every aspect of professional wrestling and performance. Um, and if the kinds of things that you and I have talked about are intriguing to you, like my, my newest book, Seven Keys to Becoming a Better Performer, if you'd like to explore that a little bit more in a no-cost scenario, seek out my most recent podcast. It's called Kayfabe 2.0. It ran for exactly 12 episodes, and it's an exploration of these same types of topics. It certainly runs adjacent to the work I did in my book, Seven Keys to Becoming a Better Performer. Uh, And come see us. Uh, Not only am I teaching all the time at the Wrestle Factory in Philadelphia, but it is also the home base for Chikara, that weird universe I was describing at the very beginning of this discussion. This year, we're putting on a live event there roughly every two weeks. So we're there July 14th. We'll be back there July 28th. We're there constantly, and we're streaming them out live on our Netflixy-like service, Chikaratopia.com, where you can dive into this weird universe now 19 seasons deep. Um, the first week of unlimited streaming is free, so you could check it out to see if it's for you. I'd love to see you in person, though, because nothing beats the power of live performance. As I said, we'll next be in action on Saturday afternoon, July 14th at the Wrestle Factory with a series of interpromotional bouts as the best of Chikara take on the best of beyond wrestling. I am very excited. I, I have said this uh, to Jeff Stormer before, but I'm, I'm doing it tonight. I am officially signing up for the Chikara Topia because I need to dive into the 19 seasons. And if I wait any longer, it's going to be 20. It's going to be 21 because it is everything I love about like just, storylines it's 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 i don't know it's it's gimmicky it's it's comic booky it's it's continuity uh and i i'm i'm finally pulling that trigger because i need to to fully engross myself in the chikara lifestyle well i want to answer a question you haven't asked but i get asked a lot which is oh, okay where do you start with 19 seasons oh perfect and okay my answer to that is this the very most recent event we live streamed on the service is called go eat worms because this whole season is, we're doing a huge homage to the Goosebumps books. Um, <gasps> oh, that's amazing. <laughs> so if you, if you navigate to our site and you're looking at season 19, here's the theme. I'm going to, I'll let the cat out of the bag. You're going to notice a theme that runs through all the event artwork and all of the design. 
Some of the events are themed after Goosebumps novels, while other events are themed after Shaw Brothers Kung Fu movies from the 70s. See if you can pick out why the events are the way they are. You can get at me at Mike Quackenbush. I'll tell you if you're right. But start with Go Eat Worms. It's a great starting point to understand where all the characters are right now that doesn't require you to go all the way back to the beginning. Um, it's a really good jumping on point for new viewers. I will take that advice. Uh, and I implore everyone else to, if you're a fan of wrestling um, I, and, and I, I can't reiterate what Jeff Stormer said um, at all. Uh, because I'm really bad at quoting him, but, but the, <laughs> the go back to episode, I want to say it was like 18 or 19 that he was on of this podcast two, two and a half years ago. Fast forward to the very end of, of it was a two part episode. Go to the second part and, and go to the very end where, where we were talking about Chikara and, and just listen to Jeff talk about Chikara. Maybe I'll cut that out and I'll insert it right now. Uh, and you'll hear him and the love he has for Chikara, it, it, it inspires, it should inspire you to, to at least love something that much, if not Chikara. <laughs> well, I would certainly love to hear that. And I always find it um, deeply validating that there are people out there as passionate about the universe I curate as I am. I think sometimes what frustrates us about professional wrestling, when we really do get emotionally invested in it, is the feeling that the people crafting the story are not paying as much attention to the details as we the viewers are. It's the same thing that drives me nuts about continuity errors in comic books. And the great thing that I think you will detect almost immediately once you join the Chikara universe is that feeling that we love it and care for it every bit as much as the fans like Jeff Stormer or maybe like you. I and, and I won't go into detail and you don't need to go into detail. I believe Jeff goes into detail. And if I'm cutting that in, uh, which I, I, you know, I have, I have time to get it cut in. So I'm going to cut it in. Uh, he, the continuity of Chikara is amazing. He talks about the season where there was time travel and, and, and how it's like how something point a happened. And then it was revisited X amount of time later, uh, and, and to button it up. I'm not gonna. I, I'm not gonna give it justice. I'm gonna let Jeff give it justice uh, as we wrap up this show. Uh, Mike, once again, thank you for being uh, on the show. It was a pleasure talking to you. Well, thanks for giving me a chance to talk about things I love, like superhero movies and Chikara. It was a real pleasure. Oh my god! Anytime you want to wax about superheroes or even Chikara, especially since I'm gonna be getting into that universe even more. I, anytime you want to be on. <laughs> Big thanks to Mr. Mike Quackenbush for being on the show. Uh, very, very enjoyable conversation. Uh, it's amazing when I talk to these people uh, to see how much I actually have in common with a lot of people that we sit down and chat with. Mike Quackenbush is one of them. Uh, we in, Throughout this conversation, I was just thinking, man, this is like a lot of how... I feel or felt when I was younger or um, we have similar passions and whatnot. And, and he just took it a step further and um, fully acted on, on uh, the wrestling and, and writing and stuff. So uh, I'm really excited uh, for you guys to have sat down and listen to that. If you haven't checked out Chikara yet, do so. You can go to ChikaraPro.com. Uh, to just read up on Chikara, you can sign up for the the their Netflix like service. I already I've done that that night. 
after I sat down and talked to Mike, I, I canceled my WWE subscription. Uh, I wasn't really watching it, and I signed up for the Chikara, and I've watched a few things here and there, and it's absolutely wonderful. It's it's uh, a refreshing take on wrestling. So if you have um, any remote interest in wrestling, if it's something that maybe you used to watch as a kid and, and you've kind of fallen out of love with, Chikara is the thing to go to because I think it will reignite that flame of um, wrestling for you. You can follow Mike on Twitter at Mike Quackenbush and make sure you pick up his book, Seven Keys to Becoming a Better Performer, a book for fellow pro wrestlers. We'll have a link in the show notes for that. And I, I'm a, I'm going to purchase that book myself um, in the next couple weeks here because I think that book is also useful for just performers in general. And we talked about that in the, in the interview. So don't let that last line of the title, a book for fellow pro wrestlers, deter you from purchasing this book. If you're a performer of any kind, podcaster, comedian, improv, uh, or wrestler, whatever, um, pick up the book. I think a lot of the, the things that he's going to talk about in that book, they even though he's, he's coming from the world of wrestling, they really relate to everything. A lot of creative avenues share things that, that um, is part of wrestling. Uh, Make sure you support this show by going to iTunes and leaving a five-star rating review. That Apple math helps people find this show. Uh, it helps us climb the rankings. The more uh, we, we uh, have, the easier it is for people to find the show. And then it's just a nice vicious circle of that all happening. And we'll be sure to read any new reviews that we get right here uh, during our intros or outros of the show. You can also support us by word of mouth recommendations. Tell a friend sitting, you know, you're sitting in a car ride, whatever, just throw us on or tell them to go to awesomepodcast.com to listen to the show. And of course, uh, on August 1st, patreon.com slash that entertains will be the uh, best way to support us financially uh, for as little as $2 a month. You can subscribe to the That's Entertainment Podcast Network Patreon, which gets you every show in the network, plus everything is awesome, which is produced by That Entertains. Uh, early access, exclusive content, um, T-shirts and merch, and uh, you know, early access to anything that comes through on ThatEntertains.com. So not just the podcast, but reviews and, and videos and, and all that fun stuff. You'll get early access to that. They're all the best ways that you can support us. You can also follow us on Twitter at RealAwesomePod or me on Twitter at ThatNerdyKev. I do a lot of personal interaction through uh, at ThatNerdyKev. So so hit me up there. Now, uh, something that we'll talk about in a future episode uh, with the founder of FiveCalls.org um, is a call to action. It's something that I've talked about doing on this show for quite some time. Um, and I'm going to take a cue from James D'Amato from the one shot podcast network. And he saves his call to action for the end of the show. So for anyone out there that doesn't agree with everything is awesome politics, my politics, whatever, this is the time that you can tune out when we, when we get to our call to action, uh, which will, will be the very last thing we do in the show. That is time for you to check out if you don't agree. Um, I don't, you know, hopefully you don't tune out from this show because of our call to actions, but it's, it's come to, uh, just a time where, um, I have a platform and I, I feel like I need to use it to talk about the things I believe in. Um, whether 
I don't think anyone thinks we're in a good time right now, whether you're you're pro-Trump or, or anti-Trump. And, you know, there's things that we can be doing um, to, to have our voices heard. Um, voting and letting our representatives know that we have concerns. If you're not here for politics, thank you for listening. Uh, we'll see you next week with our next show. Uh, and, and then, you know, we'll see you for the next one after that. You don't have to stick around for this part. So super friends, even after president Trump signed an executive order, To stop his administration's policy of separating migrant families at the border, there are still over 2,000 children who haven't been reunited with their families. This executive order does not order the Department of Health and Human Services, the Office of Refugee Resettlement, to locate these children who have already been separated and reunite them with their families. HHS and ORR have processes in place to find relatives for unaccompanied minors who cross the border alone. However, there is no existing infrastructure to track both parents and children in connection with each other. Further complicating the matter, the nationwide haphazard dispersion of the separated children. Hundreds of migrant children were discovered in New York facilities without the knowledge of Governor Cumio or New York City Mayor de Blasio. Without intervention, these children will be placed with foster care providers instead of reunited with their families. Without immediate reunification effort, there is significant risk that many of these children may never see their families again. The administration will have unnecessarily made orphans out of innocent young migrants. Congress must hold the federal government accountable to prevent this tragedy from getting worse. And governors must do their part to help reunite victimized migrant families. Make your voice heard on this issue and many more by contacting your representatives. To help you with this, there are services out there that give you scripts and phone numbers to your representatives. I have used fivecalls.org to assist me in making my voice heard, and phone calls are one of the most important factors your representatives consider when making these types of decisions. Make your voice heard on these issues that are important to you, and find a way to contact your representatives. Emailing and faxing is great, but it's not the best way to get a hold of your representatives. Fivecalls.org is so simple to use. I used it for the first time just the other day. Uh, I downloaded the app onto my phone and I'm able to use speakerphone and just tap the phone number to call the governor or my representatives and senators. Make the call, go back to the screen for the app and read the script. It's so, so simple. And as you'll hear in a couple of weeks when we sit down and talk to the founder of fivecalls.org, you can even call after hours and leave a voicemail if you're not comfortable sitting down and actually having a conversation with a person. But they appreciate someone that's quick and to the point. So sticking to the script is the best way to have your voice heard, the best way to get that tally mark. Because faxes go unread, emails go unread. But voicemails are typically checked. And the people on the phone are in their... um, they're in their, their senator software to tally what you're calling about. And they take you seriously because you are who elect them in these elections. So th- thank you for sticking around this long. If you have, uh, it's, it's time to use our voices, whether it's to make phone calls or if you're a podcaster or a creator to, to let your audience know about things and, and, 
you can call no matter what you believe in you can call your representatives and let them know how you feel so whether you agree with my politics or not you have the same power to do what i have been doing with fivecalls.org and you can call and and let your represent uh, representatives know what you believe in and and what you uh, think they should vote for um, it's not just for, for liberals and anti-Trumpsters. It's also for conservatives. It's for everybody. It's the beautiful thing. So make your voice heard. That's the most important thing, uh, that we could be doing. So, uh, hopefully the next time, uh, we do one of these outros with the call to action, which will be every week now, uh, I'll have it kind of trimmed down and I want to explain everything. If you have any questions about it and you want to talk more about our call to actions, please hit me up on Twitter at that nerdy Kev. You can also hit us up on the show, Twitter at real awesome pod. Um, but we are, everything is awesome. This has been a great conversation with Mike Quackenbush right here on awesomepodcast.com we are part of the core temp arts podcast network on coretemparts.com we've been awesome thank you for listening to the core temp arts podcast network to listen to more core temp arts shows visit coretemparts.com